Hey, I'm excited to be with you here on, on Sanctity of Life Sunday. I think one of the common misconceptions, I think, uh, is that, that Sanctity of Life really just deals with beginning of life sort of issues, people in beginning of life stages. And I think that's really for two reasons. One, I think we recognize uh, that group of people as the most vulnerable. And so we have a tendency to try to speak out and defend them, which I think is a good thing. And then also we, uh, we recognize that that's such a formative time. So many critical things happen during those early stages, right? It's like why all of us bend over backwards and want to put our kid in the best preschool ever because we're like, I want her to be an astronaut, right? Um, so that's, that's really why we focus on those. And I think it's a really good thing, right? We talk a lot about early stage development, early childhood development, right? Even where theories have been crafted around birth order, right? So how many of my firstborns in here? You are also the fastest hand raisers. You're like, yeah, right, firstborn. You're the assertive type, you, you typically, right? You, you're the achiever, you're driven, right? You're also a rule follower. I gotta, I gotta do this. My youngest one's in here. Where are my people at? Yeah. We're partying a people right here. That's right. Yes, thank you, Marty. Right on. Stand up and be proud. Recognize. Yeah, we, we, we're fun. We're, we're, we're typically the comedian, right? The jokester. Surprise, I'm the youngest in my family. And then, who's my middle children in here? Oh, God bless you all. You're the peacemakers. You're like a United Nations. You just want everyone to come together and get along and be happy, right? Birth order's great. And there's some debate as to how significant it is uh, in the development of a person, but it's fun to talk about. And birth order is, is interesting. Uh, we, we, I think one of the reasons why it works, uh, at least logically for me, is because you walk into a room or you walk into a group of people and you kind of adjust who you're going to be based on who is there, right? Typically, there's a lot of gregarious people in a room. I'll typically drift back to the background. But if everybody's really stiff and uptight, I'm going to crack a few jokes. Like, that's just kind of how I function. And I think we do the same. You kind of read a room and then you make decisions based on what you're going to do. But it's really hard when you come into a new group of people and you have no idea who you're supposed to be. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's uh, meeting, meeting some uh, in-laws for the first time and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Family culture's still strange, a little different. It's hard to read a room and, and know where you're supposed to fit in. And it's especially hard in the church. Church especially this size. I mean, look around this room. Probably about 1,000 people in here-ish. Hard to know. What role am I supposed to fulfill in a room full of people that I may not know? Birth order doesn't really work because congratulations, you're like the one trillionth member of the church, right? You're one trillionth child of God or whatever. It's really difficult to use that. So what I want us to do today is we look through this series of, of brand new. We're going to look at the brand new family. And I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list, but I want to talk about some things out of Acts chapter 15, really four episodes, Acts chapter 15 and 16 of how you can find your place, how you can find out what it is you're supposed to be doing. What does is, what is a healthy member of the family look like? Just kind of four guiding points as we get started. And the first thing that we need to do is we need to protect the unity of the family, protect the unity of the family. So the first story that we're going to see in verse 36 is on the heels of Barnabas and Paul's greatest accomplishment. Barnabas and Paul, missionary tandem, teamed together, went on a journey, planted some churches, and then they went down to Jerusalem for a council, for a summit meeting. And there was a big discussion as to whether or not a Gentile, somebody who's not Jewish, could go from being a Gentile straight to being a Christian, or did they first need to become a Jew first, and then they could become a Christian? Well, the result of this council was that, no, you can go straight from Gentile to Christian, which is what Paul and Barnabas were arguing. 
right? Which I, I, we still feel the effects of this. This is still a good thing, right? Now we want you to join our church. We just say you need to get baptized. It'd be really difficult to be like, hey guys, we need you to get a surgery too while we're, while we're at it, right? That's not going to happen, which is good, good news. Talking about circumcision, just that you don't know. Just want to be clear. So we have this, this, this great momentous victory that we still celebrate, right? We still enjoy the fruits of it in our church today. And Paul and Barnabas are, are like, hey, let's go and let's tell the churches that we've planted the good news that, that, that they've ruled in favor of, of the churches that we planted. And look at verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them. That withdrawn is uh, uh, apostasy. Basically somebody who had, it's the technical term we use for somebody that walks away from the faith. Paul's saying, this guy left us behind. He abandoned us. Why are we going to bring him with us? One who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. Now this sharp disagreement, the word means anger, frustration, exasperation. So this isn't just a little tiff between Paul and Barnabas. There is frustration. Think about the worst argument you have ever been in. That's essentially what's going on here. And so a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So you have two journeys now happening instead of one. Now you might say, Travis, this is supposed to be about unity. I don't really see how unity was protected here. And on the surface, I think you'd be right. But then if you think about what's going on, something really good is actually happening here. You have two missionary journeys now rather than one. You have two qualified people going in two separate directions now. God's work is advancing. God's work is being promoted. And it's not something that, that is broken. The relationship is not broken. And we know this because Paul mentions Barnabas favorably in 1 Corinthians 9. And we know that later on, him and John Mark actually reconcile because he asks Timothy to send him John Mark. He's like, send John Mark. He's useful to me. We also know Mark kind of makes a, a, a turnaround because he writes a gospel that he names after himself, but that's fine. You know, whatever. <laughs> it was added later. We even see this in our own church's personal history. In 2006, there was a group of people in our church who said, we want a contemporary expression of worship. We love and affirm what the, what the sanctuary, what traditional worship is, but we want a contemporary form of worship. Now, churches have split over less than this. We all know this, right? But our church, again, agreed, hey, we should have both expressions of worship on our campus. And the Great Hall Worship Service was started and is flourishing, as is the sanctuary, is flourishing, doing well. It's a very similar thing to what Paul and Barnabas are doing. It's this agreement to separate in some way, shape, or form. And it's healthy. Scripture often uses conflict. Scripture describes conflict as an opportunity for God's work to spread. Now, the scripture passage here does not say who was right and who was wrong. It doesn't comment on whether or not there was sin, which I think is good. But there's issues of conflict throughout the Bible that God's work then advances on the heels of this conflict. Jacob, meets the two mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel, his two wives. He meets them out of conflict with his brother Esau. David ascends to the throne of Israel. How? Conflict with the Philistines and conflict with Saul. Israel is disciplined through conflict with surrounding nations. 
Salvation is brought to the entire universe. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, conflict was happening. The Roman Empire was conquering nations. The Jewish religious establishment was in conflict with Jesus. And through that conflict, God worked salvation. Even the early church is spread out from Jerusalem through the conflict of persecution. Now, not all that conflict is good. Some of it is downright criminal. Some of it's downright wrong. But God can still use conflict to bring about his plan and his purpose. And it's the way that Barnabas and Paul handle the conflict that leads to unity. The gospel message, the message that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, stays unified with the two missions. And as we said, he speaks favorably of both of them moving on. I think many of us think that if we avoid conflict, if we suppress conflict, if we suppress our frustrations, we're actually maintaining unity. And I think in some cases, yeah, it might be true to overlook maybe a minor offense. But if you know something's a big deal and you try to suppress it, you know what that does? actually sows the seeds of disunity and bitterness later on. Because you and I both know that's boiling up. You know that's running over and creating issues for other people there. It's so important for us as believers because conflict is going to happen. It's unavoidable. One, there's sin in the world. And two, we all don't get along. And that's okay. We're all very different people. We need to learn how to handle conflict as believers because the world out there thinks that conflict is won through shouting matches through rallying only the people who agree with you by getting in echo chambers, passive aggressive actions, getting on social media, always creating a bad guy and a good guy, and being concerned with being on the right side of history. That's how conflict is handled in the world out there. As believers, we need to show a different way of handling conflict. John Favreau, who's a director and a producer, you might know him. He directed uh, Iron Man, Iron Man 2. His most uh, notable contribution recently is The Mandalorian. Uh, so if you love Baby Yoda, you love John Favreau. Congratulations. Uh, John Favreau had this to say about his relationship as an actor, he's also an actor, with his directors. He had this to say. It's so much easier to manipulate people, there he says actors, than to really have an earnest discussion with them. It's very easy to say whatever's going to appease them and then turn around and do whatever you want to do. It's difficult to be forthright with people because the job does not lend itself to that. But I know that as a person, an actor, I appreciate it so much and I feel so much more commitment to a director or a person that's up front with me. The trick is to create a stillness amidst the chaos, to be really able to discuss and discover what the scene is. And they're talking about making a movie, but the same works for us. It's easy to be like, yeah, okay, I agree with you, and then go behind somebody's back and do whatever you want. It's a lot more difficult in that moment to say, I don't know I agree with that. Can we talk about that? We have to be committed to protecting unity in the midst of conflict if you're going to be a part of the family of God. Because conflict is going to happen. We just have to handle it right. So here are some things that you can do. Just, just a couple suggestions that you might want to try. You might have con conflict in your biological family. You might have conflict in your, your, your family at home, in your roommate, relationship, whatever. These are some things that you can do to sort of develop a more gospel-centered conflict style. One, cut out all passive-aggressive actions. So no more pass. I realize that I just eroded half of y'all's like conflict style, right? Sorry. It's mine too. Don't worry. You're in good company. Paul confronts Barnabas directly. He's like, you want to bring John Mark? I don't think it's a good idea. He doesn't make snide comments. Oh yeah, sure. John Mark, the guy that left us behind. I think Paul was sarcastic. I don't think he was sarcastic in that moment. Don't stonewall people. Don't stonewall people. Stonewalling is when you're like, you, you use the F word a lot. Not that one. Fine. 
I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. We know you're not fine. Stop lying to us. I know you're not fine. I'm okay. A variation of I'm fine. Paul didn't go for like two or three months on this missionary journey with Barnabas and being like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then they get to like Macedonia and he's like, okay, well, the, the big issue is John Mark, right? Then wait that long. Stop blaming other people, right? We have a tendency, you're wrong, I'm right. You're wrong, I'm right. We blame people. You're the one that caused this conflict. If you hadn't done this, we would not be in this situation. I love that scripture is silent about who is right in this conflict. Love it. And then change the win. Change the win. We think the win is being right. We think the win is getting our way. The win is the unity of the gospel message. Jesus Christ presented clearly and boldly and, and righteously before the world around us. That's the win. So if, if people think better about Jesus Christ after a conflict that you're in, then that's a good conflict. That's the win. But if Jesus Christ is drugged through the mud, if his name is drugged through the mud in the midst of your conflict, nobody wins that conflict. Everybody lost. So once the unity of the church is protected, then it creates an environment where learning and, and, and discipleship can happen. And that's the next thing we need to do in our family. We need to pass on the teaching of the family, right? So Paul and Silas, they light out of town and they go to a place called Lystra and another place called Derby. We'll see it in verse one. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Okay, so Paul on his first missionary journey ends up in Lystra and Derby, the last places he visits. So it winds up being the first place that he goes with Silas. And I guess when he went there the first time, he probably led Timothy to Christ, maybe started a church that led his family to Christ. And so now that he's come back, it's been a few years, and they're like, hey, guess what? Remember Timothy, he was this high, now he's this high, and he loves Jesus. And Paul apparently becomes very impressed with him, because look what he says in verse 3. It says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Paul takes somebody with him. He can pass on the tradition, pass on the teachings of Jesus Christ to him. Timothy's grown up, uh, the, the speaking well of him is probably similar to what we would describe as like an ordination, sort of-ish where everybody's like, no, these are, this, this guy is legitimate. He loves the Lord. He's pursuing him. He's, he's, his character is solid. Like, this is the guy you need to take with you. Paul's impressed. Paul wants to take him with him. And this is a combination. It's his own family. It's his mom. And we learn in another place that his grandmother's heavily involved in his discipleship. But it's his home family. And then it's also the church. The church and the family are working together to bring Timothy up in the Lord. And Timothy doesn't just let this great mentorship go to waste, right? A lot of us, he, I mean, he's, he is being mentored by the greatest church planter in history. A lot of us might be like, oh, this is so cool, put it on a resume, and then never really use it. But Timothy uses it. Timothy puts it to work in his life. He becomes the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Paul writes him letters continuing to instruct him. Timothy does great things for the gospel. 
And every single person in this room probably has somebody in your life that was influential to the point where you're here. You're in church because of them. And it's probably not just one person. Especially if you grew up in church, there's a lot of people you can point to and say, this person helped me in this stage, this person here, this person here. I can, I can go through the list. My mom and dad, right? Leon Jackson, who had an awesome beard. He's great. Chris Pierce, Bubba Rainwater. Yes, his name was Bubba. Lisa Smith. I mean, all these great, great leaders that, that were formative that I still remember. And a lot of times what they did was they just opened their home to us. But it was so formative for me, and, it, and it's so important for us as believers to be concerned about passing on our faith. If you have somebody in your life that has done that for you, don't let the sun set on today without texting them or calling them or reaching out to them some way and saying, thank you. Because maybe they taught you how to read the Bible. Maybe they taught you to be generous. Maybe they taught you to be prayerful. Maybe they taught you that, that being involved in a church is incredibly important. So you need to say thank you. Appreciate them and thank the Lord for them. But it is so important that we, as believers, do not become the last link in the chain. Paul's not the last link in his chain. Timothy's not the last link in his. So we have to do two things with this. One, we have to be willing to pass on what we believe, okay? So the content of the faith. But we also have to pass on what we do because of what we believe, okay? That's critical. We don't just pass on knowledge. These are the core doctrines of the faith. But also, and because these are core doctrines, this is now what we do. This is how we live. So what are some core doctrines? What are the core things that we need to hold on to? I've run this by you before, but I'll do it again. God is creator. That is core. I don't care how you get there. I don't care if it's a literal seven-day creation. I don't care if it's evolution. However you want to go with it, I'm not going to argue with you about it. But God had better start the party that is creation. That's core. That's central. Trinity. God is three persons. Equal in substance, power, majesty. We believe in a triune God. Original sin, not original son, original sin. Sin is not just a behavior issue. It's a condition, something you're born into, something you can't escape from, apart from Jesus Christ, which brings us to the next part. Virgin birth. Jesus was conceived and born of the virgin. Core, core belief there. Jesus is the son of God. He's not just a good man who walked around and taught some things. He taught he was the son of God, so he's a really bad teacher if he's not. It doesn't work. Believe in the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins because we couldn't pay that. I couldn't pay God back. I can't work hard enough to get God to like me. So Jesus, the son of God, pays that for me, and by putting my faith and trust in him, I have a relationship with God. Believe that Jesus is coming back, really, physically. He's returning one day, again, Whatever flavor of that you have is fine, but he's coming back physically. And then the Bible is the inspired word of God. Core things there. But we also, again, need to pass on what do we do. So how do we live? Because those things are nice and great. We can talk about them all day long. But what do I do then? What is my life like? Well, if God is creator and he's made people in his image, then I should love everyone because everyone's made in the image of God. This is why MLK matters to us. A predominantly white church. Why? Because we believe that everyone is made in the image of God and we should go out of our way to appreciate and affirm those that historically have not been treated that way. That's why sanctity of life matters. Because people are made in the image of God and that matters if you hold God to be the creator. Believe that God is love. Within the Trinity is perfect love. 
Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Father. It works perfectly. It's perfect love. So if God is love, therefore I am loving as well. Sin is something that should be fought and battled. It's not something I should compromise with or make peace treaties with. I should work to rid my life of it, praying that God would do something there. We should forgive one another. If Jesus forgave me, I should be forgiving as well. I should live by faith, not by sight. If Christ came to serve the least, I should also come to serve. should stop trying to earn acceptance, but instead trust by faith that God accepts me. And we pass this on. We pass this on to, to kids, to teenagers, to, to children, to preschoolers. We keep passing this on. Whether they're your kids, somebody else's kids. I mean, maybe don't randomly stop somebody in the street and be like, hey. But, but working, whether you have kids or not, we need to pass this on to generation after generation after generation. This is why Paul continues to write to Timothy. This is why we have things like getaway weekend for the youth group a couple weeks from now. They're getting away to learn not just what they believe, but how do I practice this in the world that I am in? It's important to be a part of it. We pray with our kids at night. We read them. There's this great thing. If you're looking for a Bible to read with your kids, I recommend the, the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's fantastic. I frequently am crying. My daughter's like, why? Why are you crying? I'm like, because it's just excellent. Just stop. It's fine. Just go to bed. Maybe have like theology Thursdays on the way to, work, way to school or work. You know, we're, we're here on Wednesday night. We're talking about what's going on. And you can say, hey, what did, what did you learn about God last night? And you're on your way, right? Or, hey, what do you think about God? Ask questions. And if you don't know the answer to them, guess what? A lot of people don't know the answers. You can call me, you can email me. I'll probably say, I don't know, it's a great question. Kids usually ask questions that I'm like, I have no idea. I got no clue. But make sure we're passing on the faith. It's so critical. But we can't just be concerned with those still in the family. We can't be concerned just with the family and transmitting what's in the family. We have to be concerned about those outside of the family as well. Verse 6, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So it's a lot of words. Basically what happens is they tried to go south. God wouldn't let them. They tried to go north. God wouldn't let them. So they kind of do this like northwestern trek. They're heading to like the northwest corner of modern day Turkey. Now, I don't know how God prevented them. The, the, the Bible's kind of silent on it. There's some thoughts. Some people think there's illness going on, and so, like, there's, this city is sick, or this region is sick, so we're not going to go there. Some people think legally they couldn't go some places. Other people think there wasn't a strong Jewish presence, and Paul's MO is typically to break into a city, not break in, but, like, go into a city and teach at a synagogue, and then from there he kind of starts his work, and maybe there wasn't a strong presence there. We don't really know. Uh, I like to think that Silas is the problem. In Acts chapter 15, verse 32, he's referred to as a prophet. He's described as a prophet. And so I wonder if Silas is the one being like, God, God's, Paul, God's saying we can't go there. And Paul's like, okay. Oh, nope, not that way either. Nope, nope, not that way. Not that way, not that way. And so they keep going. And one night, they're, they're, they're on this trip, and they go to sleep. And then verse 8, so passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. Wow. 
So what happens is through a combination, and this is how God kind of gives us direction in our lives. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Uh, we'll I'm going to talk about God's new purpose for our life next week. So we're going to spend a lot of time on this next week. But typically what God does is through a combination of prohibitions and permissions, God leads us to the thing that he wants us to do. It's typically how it works. You get a lot of closed doors and an open door and there you go. Doesn't always work like that, but sometimes it does. And typically, God is going to lead us to someone who needs to hear the gospel. God is going to lead us to somebody that needs to be uh, uh, shared the gospel with, somebody that needs to be discipled, somebody that we can comfort, encourage with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the direction that God is leading us in. And you might be sitting here thinking to yourself, Travis, that's the, it'd be really nice if I just had a vision of somebody. Like, I would love it if I just went to bed one night and had a dream of somebody, maybe at another job, maybe like they're wearing a Best Buy uniform. And they're like, come help me. I'm, I'm, I and I'm like, cool, I'm going to Best Buy. We're going to Best Buy now, or whatever it is that you want to do. I want you to do me a favor. You'll never hear a pastor say this. I want you to pull out your phones while I'm talking. Everybody pull out your phone. Some of you already have your phone because you, you read the Bible on the phone. I want you to open up your photo album or open up Instagram. And I just want you to start thumbing through pictures. Because I have a theory. I think the reason why Paul gets a vision is because they don't have a lot of images in their society of people right? You see people every day on your phone. You see people on the news all the time, tragedy striking. And when you find a picture, I want you to find a picture of someone that's spoken to you recently of, of difficulty, trial, somebody that needs encouragement, maybe somebody that doesn't know the Lord, somebody that needs the gospel. Why don't you just stop on their picture? Why don't you just look at them? There's a passage in the gospels where it says, and Jesus looked at them, at him and loved him. I want you to look at this person and love them and think about what God has told you that they need in their life. Maybe what they've expressed, like, I'm just really struggling right now. I want this to be your person. Maybe this is your one person for the year, the person that you're going to pray for, pray that God would work in their life. Maybe God would, would show up and, and, and would, would bring them to himself, that maybe God would quiet the fears in their life. Maybe that God would encourage them. Maybe that God would open their heart so they might receive him for the first time. And I want you to pray that God would use you somehow, major, minor, however, to bring that about in their life. Okay, you can put your phone away now. It's critical. It's critical. I've got to say that, right? But that's your person. Now, some of you in this room might be like, Travis, I I'm the one crying out for help. You don't hear me because I'm not doing it vocally, but I need help. I want you to look at me. This can be your place for help. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to guess, in some cases, you might think the church has burned you before. Church has done damage in your life. Now, I don't think that that was me, but I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm a part of the new family of God. And so I will say on behalf of them, I'm sorry. We have made mistakes, major and minor, in lives, personally, publicly. We, the church has made mistakes. And I'm sorry. But we want to help. We want to be involved. We want to reach. So, so we can't read minds, though. So I want you, at the end of our service, just go to the next steps rooms. Right over here to my right. You go through the doors over here. You'll see me. You'll see a couple other people standing there. Just come up and say, I need help. And maybe we start a conversation there. Maybe we just take down some information, and we contact you. and we'll say, hey, let's set up a time where we can talk, where you feel a little bit more comfortable talking. But don't leave here today if you need help, if you want to know the gospel, if you want to know that Jesus Christ died for your sins, if you want to have a relationship with him, or if you just, you're going through something right now, you need help. Family of God's here for you. Be that vision to us. Say, I need help. I need help. We've got one more story to talk about today, and I, and I like this one a lot. I think it's neat. 
Um, we need to participate in the family's business. Participate in the family business. This kind of encapsulates everything that we've talked about today. So, uh, so verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. Luke, by the way, who's writing Acts is from Philippi. So he's kind of talking up his town, which I think is fun. And a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. I'm going to stop right there. So again, typically Paul goes into a city, finds a synagogue, and starts preaching. The suspicion is that this city did not have a synagogue. And the reason that would be is there needs to be 10 Jewish men in the city in order to have a synagogue. So this is why there are women outside the city praying. Now, Lydia is not Jewish. She's a God-fearer, which means she has a lot of Jewish practices, but she's not converted. She's also not from Macedonia. She's from a place called Thyatira. Okay? So all that's really important. Let's keep reading. Keep all that in mind. As we continue on, a seller of purple goods who was worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So there's three things that shows Lydia just jumps right into the family business. She is all about it. She jumps right in. There's three things here that you need to see. One, she is a, a, a responder. She's somebody that, that, that is a single woman. She is not married, probably, as you can tell, because her whole household. So she's either single, never been married, or a widow. So this is really key to see, because as we, we look and we look at Paul's journeys from here on out, the city of Philippi and the church at Philippi, of which Lydia appears to be the first person, bankrolls his ministry for like the rest of the second missionary journey, which is really cool. He even writes them a letter in Philippians and says, hey, thanks for all the support you've given me. If you're a woman in our church, I want you to know that you have a critical part of being in the body of Christ. You are significant and you are important and you matter. Single women as well. I have a tendency to think of people in couples and pairs, right? Family units, and I get that. If you're a woman here today by yourself, and you're a single woman, this is a place for you. It's a great place for you. There are godly women here who will disciple you. There's godly encouragement. There's opportunities for leadership at our church as a female. So please, like, be a Lydia and be it here. You can be from somewhere else, but be here with us. Second thing that I think is really cool about Lydia and what she does is that she opens her home as a base of operations. Again, I said this before, an, an open heart is an open home. John Stott said that. An open heart is an open home. So, so we want uh, to be hospitable. And Lydia is this. He provides a base, she provides a base of operations for what's going on. And this is the last thing that I think is really cool. Do you know where Thyatira is? Thyatira is in Asia, minor. Okay, so in Turkey, modern day Turkey. It's like right smack dab in the middle. So Paul has a vision of a Macedonian man saying, come help us. And the first person that we know of that he leads to Christ is not a man, but a woman. And it's also not a Macedonian, but someone from Asia, which is where he wanted to go in the first place. And we also know that a church somehow gets planted in Thyatira because it's one of the seven churches that receives a letter in the book of Revelation. So here's my theory. Now, I'm, I'm going to expand a little bit, but this is my theory. I think that Lydia, through her biz business connections, because Thyatira is like this uh, die capital of, of the Roman Empire, 
she starts funneling money and starts funneling resources and the gospel back to Thyatira and is probably, possibly, a big part of the gospel being planted in Thyatira. So ironically, Paul wanted to start planting churches in Asia and God prevents him from going there. Why? Because the way he wanted him to do that was to go through Macedonia. Sometimes the direction God is leading you in seems to be the opposite direction that you should be going and it winds up being just the direction that you need to go. So I've got a visual here that I want to do. I want us to show, I want to walk through because I've, I've thrown a lot at you. I know it's a lot of content. I want us to look at this as to how you can figure out what is your place in the church. So we're going to look at a couple of options here so that you can find out what it is you're supposed to be doing. Now here in the middle is you. This is you, me, however you want to word that. And I think Lydia probably in our story probably works the best here. So this is you. All of us need a Paul. All of us need somebody pouring into our lives, teaching us the faith. I need it. You need it. doesn't matter how far along you are. If you are older and you're like, I don't know of anybody else older than me to pass on the faith to me. There are people who have died who have written things. Some of my best mentors are people who have been dead for hundreds of years. So just throwing it out there. Don't, don't think they've got to be alive to be your mentor, right? Um, Augustine has been mentoring lots of people for a long time. You need a Paul. Don't let it just be books. Find people to mentor you. You also need a Barnabas or a Silas type. Somebody to walk alongside you. You need somebody to encourage you. Christianity is not meant to be lived alone. Do not walk in the faith alone. My, one of my best friends was my seminary roommate, and I even texted him this week. I was like, hey, I got to make some changes in my life, and, and I'm, I'm a little nervous about them. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. Just, just things are going on personally. And, and he's like, I love you, man, and I'm praying for you. You need somebody that you can be open with and honest with and say, hey, I need help. You need a Barnabas. You need a, a Silas. You also need a Timothy. You need somebody to pass the faith on to, hand it down to, somebody that's going to take your place, somebody that's going to move with, maybe, maybe move into the spot that you're in because you're going on to be somebody else's Paul. And then lastly, we all need a Macedonian man. Fair enough. All my single ladies in here are like, yeah, I do. A Macedonian man. I need a Macedonian. We all need somebody, a mission field, right? We need somebody, a group of people, one person, whatever it is, who you know is crying out to you saying, I need help, come help me. And your efforts are towards that person. And then all of this sort of needs to be protected by unity. You got to protect this group of people. There's going to be conflict within it because there's relationship, right? You protect this group of people. So I don't know what your step is. I don't know what you need to do today. But I think you need to be a part of this body of believers. I think that's what this is saying. I think that's what the scripture is saying. I think you should stop looking for a church, and I think you should join us here. If you've never had a relationship with God, you don't know what that means, you can come talk to me. If you want to get baptized, like again, come talk to me. That's how you join the church, actually. But I want you to be a part of this family, because this family is about protecting unity, it's about passing down what we've learned. We want to pass this on to you. We want to pursue people that aren't a part of the family. And then we want you to get involved in the family business. So let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we're grateful today for you. 
and for the grace that you've shown us by dying for us, by giving us uh, the spirit to dwell inside of us. So we're so thankful for the hope that we have in you. And Lord, I pray that you would grant today people who are looking for a home, looking for a family, looking for a place to be, I pray that you would show that to them today, that you'd reveal that to them today. That maybe this is the place. Maybe this can be the place where they settle down. So God, I pray that we would be unified, that we'd realize the unity that you've given us. Pray that you would walk beside us as we deal with conflict, as we deal with pursuing those outside the body and help us to pass down what we've learned so that we might participate in the family business, bringing glory to your name and the gospel to the ends of the earth. We love you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.